0: Changing Seasons, Changing Conditions, A Conversation with Patty Austin. This webinar included a visual PowerPoint presentation. To view a video recording, visit the link in the description of this podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19 related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who is interested to attend. My name is Casey Stevens, and I'm a communication specialist with Quality Insights. Today's webinar will be a rebroadcast of last week's webinar, Changing Conditions, and now I'll share my screen recording of the webinar, beginning with the introduction of our guest presenter, Patty Austin. Patty is a quality improvement specialist at Quality Insights. She has been working in the skilled nursing arena for the past 29 years starting her career as a nursing assistant and leaving the front lines as the director of nursing. Patty has been with Quality Insects since 2016. She considers it a privilege to be able to interact with so many different nursing facilities to help create lasting change within their communities. Patty, thank you for joining us again.
1: Thanks, Kathy, and welcome to everybody. So as Pennsylvanians and West Virginians, we are all seeing summer fade into the rear view mirror, right? And we're starting to gear up for all the hustle and bustle that is just around the corner as the holiday season approaches. Believe it or not, I saw an announcement this morning that we have 96 days left until Christmas, for goodness sake. So as much as I love the holidays and I welcome the changes that they bring with them, the changing of the seasons also means that our facilities are going to be changing in many ways as well. One of those ways is that the risks that our residents face become different. And today we're gonna take a look at what some of those changes mean and how we can reduce the potential for our residents to experience negative outcomes that could be associated with seasonal risk. So let's take a look and see what we have on deck. At some point in our lives, we have all wondered why it seems so much easier to get sick in the winter. Most of us have grown up hearing things like bundle up or you're going to catch a cold. So I was reading an article in Science last week, and it spoke to the idea that scientists and doctors have observed for thousands of years the case that, or the idea that Cases of some diseases, things like polio and influenza, rise and fall with the seasons. But exactly why that happens is still a little bit of a mystery. So ongoing research in animals and in humans suggests that there is probably a variety of causes for this phenomenon. The article mentions some obvious things like changes in the environment and changes within our own immune systems. But even having read the article a couple of times, for me, the picture remains a little bit unclear. Figuring out what causes those seasonal surges could one day make all the difference in minimizing the impact of infectious disease outbreaks. But until those answers come, we're left to manage seasonal changes in condition in the best way that we can. We know that each season brings its own challenges but we probably feel the biggest impact as we move through fall and into winter. The danger of respiratory illnesses increase as we head into flu season. We have now added a fall COVID surge to our list of fall and winter concerns. And those are just two that jump kind of to the forefront as October knocks on the door. But other respiratory illnesses kind of step forward a greater impact as the seasons change and colder weather sets in things like pneumonia and bronchitis and RSV all become more prevalent. Naturally, RSV could maybe use a special mention here. This season, we're seeing a little bit higher than average RSV rates in some areas of the country, and that could indicate that the onset of RSV season is a little bit earlier than usual. And as with many things, the nursing home population itself is at a higher risk for RSV for multiple reasons. Things like age, weakened immune systems, and diagnoses like chronic heart or lung disease all increase the risk for our residents. Often RSV presents kind of just like a cold. However, those symptoms can develop into pneumonia. RSV can also worsen conditions like asthma, COPD, and CHF. So it's well worth making sure that RSV is on your radar as we move forward into these colder months. (laughs) So what is it about the changing of the seasons that gives us flu, COVID and RSV seasons? What about the changing weather brings those seasons on? We know that cases of all of those diseases occur all year long. Flu doesn't wait till October 1st until it infects someone, and COVID doesn't disappear in April. But we can see with our own eyes that cases do spike during the colder months. The thought is that these illnesses thrive as we move into colder months for a number of reasons. First, we have the very obvious. People are spending more time indoors and often gathering in groups indoors, So the risk factor is different at Thanksgiving dinner in the dining room than it would be at a Memorial Day picnic at the picnic table. So indoor groups make spreading easier. Then we have the idea that colder temperatures actually dry the air and that dry air can dehydrate your mucous membranes. Mucous membranes are one of our body's natural defense systems in preventing illness. And when they become dehydrated, our body's ability to defend itself also weakens. Then we have the idea that viruses are preserved in colder temperatures longer due to a slower decomposition rate. So if the virus is decomposing slower, it's also living on surfaces, on exposed surfaces longer. But really, regardless of the why, respiratory illness time is here. And these illnesses present complicating factors beyond the illness itself. Consider the flu that develops into pneumonia, and pneumonia then moves into sepsis. The impact of an outbreak within a facility can be far-reaching and, and quite frankly, devastating. And if all those virus-driven illnesses isn't enough to keep us busy, We then have to take a look at the chronic diseases that can also be affected by changing seasons. Things like COPD, asthma, arthritis, autoimmune disease, and CHF can all have exacerbations that are related to colder weather. Even diagnoses like depression and sleep disorders can worsen during darker, colder times of the year. And that means we have a double whammy. We have new illnesses brought in by seasonal viruses, teaming up with potentially worsening chronic diseases to contend with. Now, let's add in the approaching holidays and the risk that they bring with them. More visitors means more outside contaminants, more hugs and kisses mean more potential to exchange body fluids. Even those gifts carried in from loving kids. Can become carriers of a virus. And how about my absolute favorite, right? All of those dear little sweet kids visiting, young kids that might lack our awareness um, of the need for good hand washing practices and cough etiquette, they too are risk factors. So our double whammy really becomes a trifecta that, without diligent management, can easily lead to avoidable rehospitalizations and negative outcomes for our residents. When we look at the OIG top diagnoses for nursing home hospitalizations, we can see that we've already talked about five of the top seven. Sepsis, COPD, asthma, pneumonia, and CHS are all impacted by changing seasons and are all at the top of the re-hospitalization diagnoses list. The risk is there, not just on paper, but in real life. So you know what? Let's just call the whole thing up. We can't stop the cold from coming, so let's just button up our doors and our windows and hunker down until spring. If the Grinch can do it, we can do it too. Let's be done with the whole thing, right? Of course not. None of the things that we're talking about now are new to us. We're actually coming into our fourth COVID fall. And for the very first time, we're beginning to hear whispers of an ending pandemic and moving into the endemic phase. We've seen more than our share of respiratory illness and chronic disease exacerbations over the last few years. We know how to handle these things. In fact, I'm going to venture to say that we are really better prepared now than we were five years ago to manage the threats that winter brings with it. Our infection control practices have never been stronger. Our ability to monitor our facilities has been bolstered in ways we could have only guessed at five years ago. And even our communities are educated and prepared to play their part in what we need to do. We are ready for this. We simply have to do one thing. That one thing is... Control those things that are within our power to control. First, we have to continue to make sure that we're educating and providing vaccination opportunities to our residents and our staff. Vaccination remains a vital piece to preventing widespread illness. Part of our vaccination efforts might be to move to normalize the idea of getting your seasonal vaccines. Five years ago, no one thought twice about getting their flu shot. It was just something we did. We understood that we might still get the flu, but that the effects of the flu wouldn't be as severe as if if we had not gotten our shot. This time of year is perfect for revitalizing your vaccination efforts and moving away from the kind of emergency approach of the past few years and resuming the, it's that time of year again approach that's been successful for us in the past. Now's also the time to double down on your surveillance of infection control practices. Those infection control measures that can sometimes be easily taken for granted are really the best defense we have against viruses that want to invade our facilities. Probably the most important point for today is that despite our very best efforts, people will become sick, Chronic conditions are going to undergo flare ups, viruses are going to make an appearance. We can't control that with 100% efficiency. We know this. So what do we do when we know that we're at risk? We look for those early signs that we've been waiting for to finally make an appearance. We don't wait until we're sure they have a CHF exacerbation. We notify of those small changes early so that we can take early action and prevent the event that could lead to a trip to the hospital. Our mantra becomes early identification, early notification, and early action. So let's talk about a diagnosis most likely to lead to the worst possible outcome for our residents. Sepsis. For me, the words sepsis and insidious go hand in hand. A simple skin tear, a mild UTI, a little cough, or maybe some sniffles, any infection at all can result in sepsis. Sepsis is simply the body's extreme reaction to an infection. Our residents are all at high risk for any infection to result in sepsis. Our population is generally over the age of 65. Many, if not most are chronically ill or immunocompromised. Often we have residents who have a history of sepsis making them more prone to another episode. And of course, any recent hospitalization or severe illness increases the potential for someone to develop sepsis. Dr. Storm, our medical director, did a wonderful presentation earlier this month on reducing hospital readmissions, and I have shamelessly stolen this quote from her slides. Because symptoms and signs are non-specific in older patients, especially those with multiple comorbidities or cognitive impairment, virtually any acute change in condition could represent possible sepsis due to infection. Truer words were never spoken, right? Little sniffles resulting in sepsis. Those are the, um, the things that nightmares are made of, right? And that leads us right back to identifying those acute changes early, notifying the physician early, and acting early to prevent those little changes from having catastrophic outcomes. The first thing we need to do to identify those early changes is to empower those people who are closest to the resident. They need to feel empowered to speak up when the little changes are noted people like nursing assistants, dietary aides, housekeepers, and of course our family members are those people who will know the resident better. They're going to know the resident better than your infection control nurse will, the nursing supervisor, the DON, or even the physician. So it's our responsibility to give those individuals the voice they need to communicate the changes to the people who can take the steps to assess and then act when needed. One great way to do this is to utilize a combination of the stop and watch tool and the cusp process. Making these methods of communication the expectation will serve to empower those who have the insight into our residents to really make an impact. If you're not familiar with these tools, please let us know and we'll be happy to discuss them in further detail because they can really Um, benefit you in your efforts to keep people well. Next, we have another nugget from Dr. Storm's call on the 6th. If you haven't had a chance to watch that session, I really highly recommend you jump onto My Quality Insights and give it a look. It has some really insightful information that can help us all prevent those avoidable hospitalizations. That being said, let's talk for a minute about vital signs. First, how confident are you that the vital signs taken by your staff are accurate? This is a great opportunity to do a couple of things that is going to increase your confidence and also increase the reliability of the information your hands-on caregivers are providing you with. You might consider doing competencies on obtaining vital signs. But really, before you do that, you need to determine what exactly is it that you consider a vital sign. For me, any data that is gathered and expected to be at a baseline rate can qualify as a vital sign. So, of course, you would consider competencies on blood pressures, pulses, respirations, and temperatures. But what about things like pulse oxes and pain ratings or weights, maybe meal percentages? It is a fantastic time of the year to move your staff through ensuring that they are able to complete those expected functions correctly so that the information that is being used by your staff and by the attending physicians to make life-changing decisions is accurate. That said, the data that your staff is collecting is only going to be as good as the equipment used to collect it. So now is also a really good time to make sure that all of your equipment is calibrated as it's recommended to be, and that it is on a routine schedule to maintain that um, accurate calibration. Then we have maybe my favorite, the 100-100-100 rule. Once we know our equipment and those who are using our equipment are performing as they need to be, any time that a temperature goes above 100, a blood pressure falls below 100 or a pulse rate rises above 100 should raise a red flag for your staff that prompts notification and a request for an assessment for possible sepsis. What I love about this is how easy it is for everyone to remember. 100, 100, 100. Temp above 100, BP below 100, and pulse above 100. A truly simple way to highlight a possible indicator of sepsis. As we get ready to close for the day, take a minute and imagine how sad it would be if we had taken that Grinch approach and hid our facilities away from the threats that winter brings with it. And, you know, we really don't have to imagine. We can simply remember that first pandemic year. That was the year of the Christmas that wasn't. Now that we're on more sure footing, we need to remain vigilant and control what we can control. We need to increase the frequency of our assessments and report even those minor changes for our nursing staff and to our physicians. We have to have the confidence to request that hands-on assessment when sepsis is suspected. Communicating using the SBAR method and really hearing the voices of our frontline will help standardize the information that we do communicate. And remember our mantra, early identification, early notification, and early action. These fundamental things can help us prevent many of the avoidable hospitalizations and negative outcomes that the winter wind might blow in.
0: Thank all of you for joining us. We hope you can join us again next week. If you would like to contact Patty Austin, you can reach her at paustin at qualityinsights.org. You can check out our other interviews at qualityinsights.org slash QIN slash multimedia.